But today on Mo Better Bands, we've got a, a good friend and former coworker actually to join us, John Seltzer. John Seltzer has been a lifelong educator, a Kansas Music Educators Hall of Fame recipient, which is a big deal. I think you might be the first Hall of Fame recipient that I've uh, had on the podcast, which is exciting. And we've got to work together for a few years uh, in our location at Kansas City. And during that time, John had a lot of observations of things that he had noticed that maybe he had never even quite noticed before from the other side of the podium. There's, a, you know, obviously you had such tremendous success and experience on the podium working with high school bands, and now you're back doing it again, working part-time uh, with middle school band. But when you get to stand on the other side of the podium and watch other people run rehearsals, you get a whole fresh perspective. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So, John, good to see you and, and uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Donovan. I'm glad to be here. John, you've always been like one of my favorite people to talk to. And, and during your tenure with our company, you're always a resource that I went to for advice and just to, as a sounding board. And that is the nicest way to say I was a big thorn in your side. <laughs> Rock on, brother. I'm with you. <laughs> well, you always, you were always bold enough to share your thoughts and opinions, and they were always well-considered and often followed with really great advice. And I mean that sincerely. So really always enjoyed our time together and really glad to, to get to be together with you again today. Dude. So let's kind of get into this because when you first, we, you and I, I remember the first time that we had this conversation, I was actually writing with you and we were visiting some of the schools that you were serving and you just started kind of talking about this. And I was encouraging like, you should be telling these directors this stuff. This is such great information. And you're like, ah, and I get it. It's, it's hard when you have like a customer to tell them like, hey, I think you're great, but let me tell you where I think you're not so great. <laughs> that can be a little tricky. You just don't do it. I'm yeah, <laughs> I've had that same experience, by the way, I, I, I almost shouldn't say this, but I, I'm going to say it anyway, but I play in a, in a community band and the last concert series, we had a bunch of local band directors conduct tunes and they kind of rehearsed and led the band, which was actually really great. And I, and I think really enjoyed that experience. And I love playing in community bands, but I definitely observed some things that I, I wanted to tell them. And fortunately for a few of those directors. They're not my customer. They use the competitors. So I feel a little more licensed to like, you know, maybe I will just tell them like, what's the worst thing? <laughs> and I'll tell them it's coming from a source of love and because like, I, you know, I care for them and want to see them blossom. But, you know, if people never tell you what's what you're doing wrong, it's hard to know how to fix it. So that's kind of our intent. I think of a conversation today. It's not to really call anybody out or shame anybody. I, I think probably everyone listening will identify themselves in many, if not most, <laughs> of these comments. <laughs> and they've well, all resonated with me ever since. If I can but. butt in real quickly, Donovan, that a lot of the inspiration for this article that I wrote was about what I saw that was great. So that was really, really important for me. And I, a lot of it, I went, oh my gosh, I've forgotten that. Or I would have never thought to do it that way. And unless you go out and you stand in somebody else's band rehearsal, you don't get that opportunity. Yes, there were the occasional lessons for me of how not to do it, mm -hmm. but there was a lot of, there was a lot of wonderful stuff that I saw when I went out and saw my fellow band directors doing their thing. And, and I made mental notes and sometimes physical notes about what I was watching because I didn't want to forget it. And so a lot of this article that eventually got published in the instrumentalist 
was about the great stuff that I saw going on. Mm-hmm. Occasionally it was inspired by something that I thought could have been done differently. Well, we're gonna, I think this first point is one of those, and it's something that I think every director is guilty of, especially young directors, but honestly, directors of all ages are guilty of this. I think seasoned, successful, older directors eventually work their way out of this. Not all, but many do. But your first point here is to keep your baton and your rehearsals moving. So tell me a little bit about the inspiration behind that and, and kind of what you mean by that. 100% of band directors, and you can ask them, they'll tell you, and I'm talking about the best ones in the world, 100% talk too much in their rehearsals. And we all go, oh my goodness, I could have done that so much differently if I'd used fewer words. <laughs> so if you can, if you can, when you stop the ensemble, give one instruction and give them a starting point and restart the ensemble, they learn the most when they're playing their instrument. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you want to get back to that. And if, if you can say it in as few words or even sing to them what you want them to play and then restart, I think that that's the most efficient thing that you can do as far as a rehearsal tactic. And you're totally right. I mean, the the best conductors that I've got to work with, they keep things moving. They keep instruction to a minimum. We were just talking before we started this recording about uh, our mutual friend, Craig Fuchs, who actually, someone you used to work with as well. And Craig was kind of a master at that. I got to play for him as when he was leading the uh, four state symphonic winds. And he didn't talk a whole lot. You know, he, he, he would give us a couple of sentences of instruction and then it was back to playing. And our ensemble got better by playing. And he'd give us a few, hey, clarinets, I need a little less volume here, or we need to be checking intonation or whatever. But then it was right back back to playing again. And very, very efficient way to record. And I think it's why that group would be able to perform the quality of literature we'd perform with only three rehearsals. Like we didn't have much time, so we had to make the most of it. Yeah, Craig is my number one mentor. He and I, I worked as his assistant band director for seven years in Shawnee Mission at Shawnee Mission West. And we've remained very close ever since. Yeah, he's fantastic. You mentioned that like it's even better to sing than to talk if possible. Why is that? Just fewer words. (laughs) You know, if I cut the band off and just say, instead of saying, we're going to separate the eighth notes at measure blah, 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 blah. You know, if I just say it to them, they'll get it. And then give them a rehearsal number and start the baton. Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's great. Well, all right. So that's a a perfect segue. Starting the ensemble with baton. Tell me about that. (laughs) So, you know, we often count the band off. And, uh, you know, I just, the best rehearsals I saw were when the conductor would just simply bring the baton up, which students had been trained that that's meant instruments come up and you could give it down without counting off. Now, obviously there are a lot of times where you're going to need to count off because you're going to start in the middle of a phrase or something like that, which is great. I recommend counting off with as few counts as possible and not to give any other instructions in the count off, you know, the famous one. Two, this is measure 37. Everybody set up straight. Woodwinds, this is your part. Ready, go. And it's, whoa, wait a minute. 
you know, if you can, if you can count off by going three, four, and you know, getting the group going as quickly as you can, that's all it's, you know, if you can train them to start on your baton without a count off, I think you're working on a whole new level of communication between conductor and ensemble that challenges the conductor to be very, very good and expressive with their physical movement and challenges the ensemble to be paying close attention. If they're not waiting for an oral cue, they've, you know, they've just got to be on their toes. And I think that makes for a great rehearsal too. I, I laugh when you're talking about the, the, the famous director count off, just because this is something so common that I honestly was kind of unaware of it. I think I've seen it since sixth grade when I first started playing an instrument, never occurred to me about like the inefficiency of it and everything else. Cause it's, I'm so used to it. And then after you pointed it out one day, I remember thinking, and now it's all I see when I see it and uh, you just see it all the time. And it, I, and I understand like directors like, all right, let's get ready. And then as they're doing that, all of a sudden to their mind, all these were there think, oh shoot, I needed to say this, that, and the other or I want to give one more reminder to the flutes or whatever it is. And you're counting it off and giving direction. And yeah, I, it's really inefficient. Uh, and now as a musician, when a director does it, I find it really, really exasperating. But you're right. I think it's it's much better communication if we, if we don't have that. Give the instructions before you start with the baton. So what level can we start this with? Oh, I think middle level, middle school level, easily, you know. To, to varying degrees, but I think that's a great place to start. Kids that are in middle school band are seated in a concert, you know, arrangement and they're ready to go. You know, they, they will learn so quickly, all these kinds of things in one rehearsal, they will pick up on what the conductor is going to do to get them started. So it's, it's about establishing a, a band director habit, which will make for good and member habits. Mm -hmm. Yep, totally agree. That kind of ties in with this, the, your next point, which was giving instructions only once. <laughs> you had another thing I hear quite a bit. So. <laughs> yeah. So my opinion is that if you repeat your instructions two or three or four times, you're training the students to not listen the first time you give the instruction. And if you give the instruction and raise the baton and you have kids going, wait, what? You know, well, they've been trained to not listen that first time. So you, you know, you got to establish a new habit, but again, the habit starts with the band director. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I love that one. Okay. <laughs> Point number four may be my absolute favorite uh and now becomes my my pet peeve because ever since again you pointed this out i uh it's dawned on me how prevalent this is but starting with an ensemble breath and i think a lot of people do this but you actually make a point about avoid substituting a director breath so talk to me about the benefits of an ensemble breath and also why the director shouldn't necessarily lead that breath we would all agree, all of us band directors who don't agree on anything would agree that the best way to, to make that first sound is for everybody to take that breath together right before the sound. So we're all in pursuit of that. But a lot of times what we do is we'll say one, two, three, 
and the director takes a breath so loudly he doesn't he or she doesn't check to see if the ensemble is taking that breath and they're not mm -hmm. you know it's what i've found because the director's doing it for them mm -hmm. you know it's not a reminder by then it's too late if they were going to take that breath it's like oh yeah he's taking the breath for me it's it's all right we'll just yeah <laughs> but if you know if instead you say two three and wait to listen to see if you're getting that ensemble breath I think you're going to get it more often. And then the, you know, the beginning of the next note is going to sound way, way better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it's also just hard to hear the ensemble breath. If the director is taking a breath, because you're right. I think so many times directors take this very loud breath, which also is I from pedagogically speaking is not the right way to take a breath in. For taking a breath that's loud, we're like creating some restriction, which is what's creating that sound. And as, with wind instruments, we don't want to create restrictions with our throat when we're when we're moving air. Yeah, but it's just an effort to remind the students to take right. breath, you know. And I, yeah, but you're modeling, you're modeling the wrong. I mean, because the sound should be more right. silent. Yeah, I mean that should be basically the sound. And and when you make that big loud audible gasp, <laughs> the way a lot of uh, uh, conductors do, you can't. <laughs> You're modeling the wrong sound, and you also just can't really hear if the ensemble's breathing or not. Yes, exactly. I know for me as a player, you know, I really believe in the value of timed breathing, so taking in enough air for the phrase I'm going to play, and then in general, trying to like breathe in kind of slowly when you have the opportunity because it's a more relaxed breath. So as soon as the directors, if I'm playing for a good director, when the hands go up, I know we're going to start playing soon. I will start kind of slowly breathing in so I can take that final bit of timed breath with the ensemble and not try to take my whole breath in that space like that because I'd feel like I don't have quite enough time to set up. That's, uh, that's a great point. There are a lot of entrances that are very delicate where you need the ensemble to take the breath in that one count, that one preparatory count so that the attack is not the great word, but the beginning of the note is absolutely together and they need, you know, they're kind of relying on each other and the rhythm of that preparatory beat and the preparatory breath. Yeah. I find uh, that this is a skill. I think that, you know, it takes a little bit of work to talk about. I we're going to work on taking a breath and starting the note together. And it's not going to be me. It's going to be the ensemble, right? You know, so uh, you have, I think you have to spend a little bit of time on that and get them to buy in. But boy, once, once you get that habit going on, that's a great one to have. It is. I mean, it carries across the ensemble, carries across the section. Hopefully your entrances will start on time. Uh, and then all we have to work on is getting the endings to end together on time, <laughs> which is a whole separate stuff in between. <laughs> yeah. Start stop on time and you've got half of it down right there. So, <laughs> oh goodness. Okay. And I, I, I love that, you know, again, ever since you've point, pointed that out to me, I've be, become more aware of it. And as with, as I've gotten to play for some really, really nice conductors over the years, I do notice that the better conductors, the more experienced conductors, a lot of the university conductors, they, they follow these, many of these things and they often won't, don't breathe through the ensemble, you know, and maybe it's because they're used to working with like collegiate players or more advanced players. They feel like it's not as necessary, but I think that that's a habit. It's a good habit for everyone to, to emulate the way that some of the best people do it. 
Yeah, one of the best things we could do as high school band directors or middle school band directors is to go sit in the rehearsal at all district band or all state band and watch those conductors rehearse because uh, that's where we pick up a lot of these good things. You go, why? You know, is it the band is responding to that because those players are so good? Well, they're responding to that because that conductor is so good. And we need yeah. to, you know, learn from that. I'm sure every director's had the opportunity to sit in on an honor band rehearsal, even if it's just like a district band or something like that. And you see your students all of a sudden like responding in a way that's different uh, to someone else's input. And certainly some of that is the environment and the experience and so on and so forth. But often you're bringing in a special guest conductor who's excellent at what they do and, and they're communicating their intent and desires very clearly and succinctly to students and students are responding. So. Point five is giving instructions only when the ensemble is silent and ready to listen. And I can't help but remember a time that we walked into someone's band room in rural Kansas, and I won't name the school or the person to protect the guilty, but it was like a three ring circus the whole time. And I remember after a couple of minutes, like it's rehearsal and there's just chaos. And I just kind of look at you and you just sort of give me this like knowing look of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Like... Let, let me let me clarify what happened because i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> and you turned so that you couldn't be seen by the you turned mm -hmm. with your back to the conductor and just looked at me and said silently you said this is a disaster <laughs> i remember it clearly <laughs> super nice guy good kids like invested in his program but uh it, it, yeah it, it was uh yeah it was not the ideal uh, environment for sound education. So talk to me, <laughs> expound on this point a bit more for me. So the bullet point says, give instructions only when the ensemble is silent, ready to listen. And, and, you know, in different situations, we can adhere more or less strictly to that. It's hard, you know, in all situations to do that, but if you're you know, if you find yourself talking over the students, um, you got to stop and mm -hmm. wait. I know in the time that I spent on the road, it wasn't just that one case, but in lots of cases, band directors don't hear. They get used to talking over their students and they don't even realize they're doing it, mm -hmm. to be honest with you. So um, I think it's becoming sensitive to that. And just stopping. It's not about stopping and chewing the band out. It's just stopping and waiting. You know, wait until they're ready. And when they realize that their behavior is the key to getting to start and play again, it they pick up on it just like that. Mm -hmm. um, but you, the director has to be really disciplined about that. And, you know, just stop when there's, instead of talking over students. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you mentioned in here too that, you know, there doesn't have to be necessarily a lot of admonishment that goes on to get the ensemble to, to be quiet. Sometimes something as simple as a phrase is I'll wait. We'll kind of clue everyone in. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that. I, I agree. I use that phrase all the time. I just stop and say, I'll wait to let whoever is listening know, Hey, this is, this isn't going on the, the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't, there are very few instances where I think chewing the band out is going to do any good for anybody, you know, it just was such a negative ball on a rehearsal, but, um, there are better ways to get to the desired results. And I think, you know, stopping 
not continuing a rehearsal until the rehearsal is ready to go again mm -hmm. is a great way of doing that without, you know, having to chew anybody out about without putting all that negative junk on the rehearsal. And, and I often, you're right. I'll, I'll just say, I'll wait. I know in, in four states, uh, you know, not to keep bringing up Craig again, but the, the guy's great. So we should do it. Uh, yes. he wouldn't even necessarily say anything. He would just kind of like, uh, he'd, he'd have, I can picture his face clearly. He'd kind of like tilt his head up a little bit and like look in the general direction of where the chatter is coming from and not like of an accusatory look, but just sort of an inquiry, like, are you, you know, are you finished? And, <laughs> and not at all upset because uh, almost giving the benefit of the doubt that there was some kind of musical instruction being passed on and uh, people would be made aware of that. And if there was musical instruction, they'd finish what they're saying and everyone's cool. And if they were just chatting, which this was a group of adults, so it's, or maybe I should say adults, <laughs> there's 50-50 shot of whether we're just chatter or musical instruction, but everyone kind of got the hint and we're back to rehearse, you know, and every once in a while, uh, we might get a, you know, bushy tail and get a little out of control, get a little squirrely and he'd kind of like, all right, come on guys, let's focus in here. Like yeah. that's about all it would take to pull the ensemble together. And, and at all levels, when you can find a way to deal with that with respect for the musicians, you're going to get a whole lot better result. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, your description of how Craig would handle that is spot on. I can, I can see him doing the same things and that's the best way to get back to what's really important, which is the music. Let's get back to the music. Yeah. The best rehearsals that we've all ever been in are the ones where it's only about the music. That's, and, and when I have found myself what, completing a rehearsal is that way, that's what I like to say at the end of the rehearsal. We had just had a rehearsal that had nothing in it except music. All we talked about and all we did was music. It was wonderful. You've told me before, too, that you've, you've occasionally done like silent rehearsals. Band directors will recognize that, that you can challenge yourself to go have a silent rehearsal with your group. You know, take this... Don't say, don't do as much talking in your, your rehearsal. Take it all the way to the extreme and don't say anything. See what different ways you can find to communicate other than words. And also you're amplifying the importance of the most, the best way for students to learn is to play. Mm -hmm. That was the way I got better faster was to put my face on the mouthpiece. Yep. Yep. I love that. So our point six is that when the baton's up, it means we're ready to start. Yeah. And, uh, this is a, a reminder to not use set. Here we go. All those phrases that, uh, we like to use, um, see if you can train yourself and then the students will learn that hands up baton up means we're about ready to start. And you don't have to use those other words. So at the beginning, you may have to wait for a few counts before you can really get started. But eventually, the, if you're consistent, the message gets across. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And number seven is using positive language. I think this is something that you're so, so good at. And I, I was the recipient of some of that positive language when you wanted corrections uh, in our company or things for me. Uh, but I've just always admired how, uh, what a great job you did with that. 
Tell me a little about that point. And then I also want to know, has this always been like a strength for you or has this been a skill that you've learned throughout your career? Okay. I'm going to start with that. Okay. Uh, none of this was a strength of mine. I've, I have had to painfully, <laughs> and you know, if I were to step on the podium tomorrow, Donovan, you would not see these 10 things happening. Uh, you know, it's just not that way. This, I, it's easy to sit down and write it out and say these things, but these, this is hard to, you know, practice all of these habits all the time, but back to the point of, uh, using positive language, it, what I meant by that in this setting is that we as band directors tend to spend a certain amount of time talking about what's wrong and if we can instead focus on what we want, what the sound should be, I think we'll get there a little bit faster. Um, and it, that's, that's hard to do, um, you know, because you, you, we've been trained to cut the band off and say, no, 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 no. We need to, you know, or instead of we need to, we go, that was, and, and mm -hmm. imitate the wrong thing. You know, if we can get to the, we need to quicker. I think we'll be a lot more effective and a lot happier. I think it just, your group picks up on whether a positive experience is when they're in band. That's really what I'm going for there. Everybody in the room should feel like this is a positive place and this is a positive thing. We're going to do positive things. Not that you can always get around that. Sometimes you're going to, you're going to have to say, no, we need to avoid blah, blah, blah. But as soon as you can get to. What we're going for is blah, blah, blah. Then I think that's a more effective way to get there. I think this is likely a human trait. And I think in some respect, maybe even a trait of successful people, because we are always looking for the things that are wrong to fix them. And I know I am super guilty of this and have actively worked to become better at it, specifically from our time working together. And I, I think like on the one hand, one of my strengths over the years in business has been, I've been, you know, I would look at our business and see what's wrong and then set about correcting it. But earlier in my career, I would do that by just essentially pointing out what's wrong, why it's wrong, why we're wrong for doing it so wrong. <laughs> it, it would just focus really heavily on the negative, which is a real downer for everyone who's having to listen to that. And I've, as I've noticed, as I've helped to develop and work alongside more leaders inside of our business, and I've even get to work with other uh, leaders and other businesses too, that this is a trait that many of them have. And I think that the idea of recognizing when something is not right and then framing it in the way that you would like it to be in a positive way is a skill that anyone can learn. And I think great leaders learn it because it creates an energy and positive motion in your group, your ensemble, your business, your family even, that is far more effective and it's better for morale and culture than just harping on like, no, no, you know, clarinets, you're out of tune again, flutes, you're this, trumpets, you missed that. Like, it's just, it's, it's a really, really powerful tool to implement. And it's something that I actively work on in our business to try to use positivity to describe what I want, how the changes that I want to see happen mm -hmm. and not to harp on the negative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, to take it to the extreme, we've all been in situations where we had to do that. 
dreaded band director thing of walking into a rehearsal, taking the first tune that you're going to rehearse, opening to the first page and starting the group and waiting for something to go wrong. And there's, there's your lesson plan, <laughs> you know, that's a bad lesson plan. If that's the way you're going into your rehearsal, of course, but sometimes you're in a situation where that's kind of what you have to do if you're in an unfamiliar rehearsal or whatever, but there's a way to get around even that, which is keep playing as long as you can, you know, and when you have to stop, talk about all the things that went great Yeah. before you go back and hit the spot where you want to iron something out. Yeah. Uh, just, just again, looking for the way you can put a positive spin on the things that are going on, because <laughs> I'm not meaning to get overly philosophical here. And we're only on point number seven or whatever, <laughs> but being in a band rehearsal is a positive place to be. Yeah. Should be. We should yeah. celebrate that all the time. Yeah, we should. We totally should. All right. So point eight is let's do that again. Tell me <laughs> about that. We've kind of been saying it. Probably the best learning tool there is, is, is to take another crack at whatever it was. Sometimes we just, we don't need more instruction. We just need to try again. And sometimes we need to try it. Let's, here's another version of that same bullet point, which is let's play measures 41 to 45, five times, and then do it five times and watch it get better right before your very eyes. And you're not given any instruction except, okay, here we go again. You know, and one of two things is going on. Number one, they just need another crack at it. They're going to get it. Or number two, they got it and they can cement that in mm -hmm. and be more confident about it if they do it again. So do it again. That's like, that's a great lesson plan right there. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And it could be valuable to point out why you're doing it again. Like, let's try this a few more times. Get under your fingers or mm -hmm. that was delightful. Can we do that a few more times so that we can lock that in? Like, with... I'd like to hear that again. Cause that was wonderful. Yeah. You know, I, stuff like that. That, you know, as a, as a musician sitting in an ensemble, when the, the person with the stick up front says, gives you that kind of commentary, I'd love to hear that again. Cause that was wonderful. Like, I'm going to set up a little straighter. <laughs> like, I'm going to be like, oh, if you like that, wait till you hear this, you know. <laughs> I'm going to play a wonderfuler. <laughs> That's right. Even more wonderful. So, yeah, I, I, that kind of uh, language is inspiring. And that's that's what we're striving to do. Point nine is a, another one of my favorites. And I think maybe because, you know, I, I've now reached the age where I'm getting to be one of the older uh, people in our industry. I remember, like, Rehearsing and rehearsals always started with scales and technique and corral and sight reading, like that being a common part of my day. And I don't see as much of that when I go into band rooms today. And I, I think that's really to our detriment. So talk to me about the kind of including some of these fundamentals into every rehearsal. Yeah, I don't think that it has to, you know, time-wise take over your rehearsal by any means. I think you need to set aside a, a set number of minutes that you would dedicate to scales, technique, corral, sight reading, and even sight singing. If there could be something on the screen or on the board as students walk in, I loved having students stand by their chair, band students stand by their chair and sing solfege or on law or whatever, a simple melody that's on the board. More they use their singing ears, the better in tune they play. Um, but these things can be worked out ahead of time. You can find resources where it doesn't take you 
an hour of planning just to come up with 10 minutes of good uh, technique work and, uh, you know, warm up material. Uh, there, there are resources there for you. So it's the commitment that is going to be part of your rehearsal. The students know to count on it and they kind of come to look forward to it. Yeah. You know, well, and if you're not working on the fundamentals, those fundamentals can uh, quickly slip away and will have effects in the ensemble as you're trying to rehearse and make music. And many of these things could be combined into, you know, one or two exercises. You could sight ring, a sight sing, sight read and sight sing a chorale that includes the keys and things that you're working on. And you could kind of appropriate a lot of things into one, one exercise. You know, I think one of the uh, important things of this is if you're going to do, this doesn't take a lot of rehearsal from the director, right? If I'm going to do sight reading, like 16 measures of sight reading, there, that's all we're going to do is play 16 measures and we're going to put it to the side and move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go back and try and teach. That That's a different skill. We're, we can do that when we're working on our literature. Right. If they make mistakes in the sight reading. Fine. Let's just, it's, it's not sight reading anymore. If you go back and work on it. Right. 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 So sight read, move on. I think I, I hear a lot of in rehearsals today, the directors skipping that, especially when we get to like the high school level. Remember, gosh, I guess it's been, um, over 25 years since I was doing my student teaching. But I remember uh, working with Darren Davis from Broken Air was my um, supervising teacher. And back then he was just, you know, Darren, not, I don't think most people outside of the Tulsa Broken Air area really knew who he was. He was the director of the intermediate high school band, which was ninth and 10th grade. And he, boy, he just had that ensemble playing fantastic and playing great literature. But every day he would work on these types of these things, these scales, techniques and stuff like that. And I've always made time for it every day. And I think that's one of the reasons why his ensemble performed so spectacularly well. And he did some also very creative things, uh, things that I think I, I've heard other people do, but maybe not quite as common, like um, tuning for his ensemble. Uh, he wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't use like a tuning pitch and stuff. He would do this thing that he called F around the room, which I always mm -hmm. thought was funny even then. Just <laughs> surprised that the kids didn't smirk every time he said that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it essentially uh, ensemble plays concert F and then he would have it, he would just call out sections and just those sections would play and you would try to eliminate the waves from that F and the whole time always kind of balancing to the bottom of our sound pyramid for, for concert bands where lower voices are predominant, tuning down to the bottom and sections listening up to their section to, to for tuning and you know he would it would we would spend maybe a minute on that every day maybe two but every day getting the kids to to learn to use their ears and their bodies to adjust pitch and listen and i just noticed over that semester i was there that it just got better and better the more he did it one of the other things that i thought i had never seen before was he would basically they would essentially like improvise corrals almost in that he would name a key and then every student had learned the notes of the of the keys and they'd learned that chords are made of first thirds and fifths and then he would just hold a finger up and the finger would represent the chord so one would be the one chord and then every student would just pick a first third or fifth of that chord and essentially play chordal corrals by just holding up fingers 
and tuning and balancing and adjusting by doing that. And I remember for the first several weeks, just watching him do that and just being amazed because it's like imp improvising band music on the fly. I'd never seen anything like that before. And how fun it was to stand up for the ensemble and get to do that for myself, you know, of like, oh, that's cool, you know. But he just, every day, there was time spent, even as we were getting ready for a contest, a state contest, like he still spent time. He didn't put that off to work on Korean folk song and the Granger movable dough. I still remember those were the two tunes he did for contest. And, uh, you know, those were tough literature for a freshman band, but oh, every day still started with those fundamentals. Okay. And then uh, point 10 is to start on time and end on time. You know, the, uh, this is the easiest when your um, rehearsal is first hour, you know, and the bell rings and you can st step on the podium. But I think it, that it's really important that um, you're ready to go and the students know that at the stroke of whatever it is, that then it's time to, to get started. Mm -hmm. And that on the other end of the rehearsal, that you're not going to bleed over past whenever it is that you're very aware when it is that the rehearsal needs to stop and uh, students need to get things put away so that they can get ready for what they have next coming in their day because probably it's not banned yeah <laughs> you know and uh, i think uh, showing respect for that is is real important too um having children of my own uh, i i kind of was made aware that the world sometimes does not revolve around band, which <laughs> had a hard time coming to that. That's, that's, that's not right. <laughs> Shouldn't be that way. Yeah. I, I, over the years, I feel like I've seen directors in general get very good about uh, ending on time. I've seen a market improvement in that. That starting on time thing, I think is a real challenge for a lot of folks. And I get it. Like to have your stuff ready and be ready every day. And then also have the students be ready every day is challenging but it's an important skill to learn any tips on how to do it how to learn it well i'm i'm going to talk a little bit about the first hour thing because that was my favorite favorite time of day i always made sure that i was as much as i could completely ready to go way in advance of 7 45 or whatever the, the bell was going to ring at because what I wanted to be doing from 7.35 until 7.45 was to be standing next to the podium and uh, greeting kids with a smile or whatever and listening to them warm themselves up. The, the band room cacophony was my favorite thing of all. And I listened to what they were uh, picking to warm up on or to rehearse from their folder or all those kinds of things or some of them were just visiting with each other or making a joke or just to be there for all of that. It was great. And I would encourage them to be early. You know, I will be here early and please come and warm your instrument up. And I would sneak over and put a piece of candy on their music stand or something. If they were there five minutes early, I, I didn't care. I was not above bribing, but I just, I really liked that part of the before rehearsal thing. You can't do that when you're for your other rehearsals that are embedded within the school day, but there is, you know, it should be a routine expectation of when you're going to start that rehearsal so that they are in the room by the time the bell rings and that they are quick to get their instruments out and get ready because they know 
that they're going to start at whatever that number is, mm-hmm. you know, X number of minutes after the bell, three minutes after the bell or whatever it is. Um, it's, again, it's like everything else in these 10 points, it's a habit that you need to establish within yourself as the band director, because then it becomes a habit for the students. Yeah. I think starting on time too, and the director being prepared to start on time is a way to demonstrate your respect for students as well. And for the ensemble, I think, uh, and just being on time in general is a sign. It is a sign that you respect the people that you're meeting with. I remember Mike Guffey, one of our other longtime school service reps told me a story of, he was asked to come out and work with a band for their marching rehearsal one morning. And again, I'll, I won't name the school, but the director, uh, although I bet many directors will recognize themselves in this. I think he was told the rehearsal started at 7 a.m. And anyone who knows Mike knows that uh, for him to be early is to be on time. So he's there likely at 640 or something like that. Uh, parking lot's empty. Stadium lights are off. He's like, oh, I hope I have the right day and time. And so he's kind of waiting at the stadium and there's no one there. He's like, well, let me go on the field. Maybe somehow they're already on the field or something close to seven o'clock it's on the field and nobody there and starts getting really confused and it's now a couple of minutes after seven and he thinks ah, i must have the wrong day and so he turns around to start heading over to the band room to see if perhaps the director is in his office all of a sudden he starts to see some kids matriculating towards the field and they just sort of gradually kind of get on the field and he asks them if they had rehearsal today and they're like oh yeah yeah we're all coming like uh and then where's Mr. So-and-so like, oh, he's, he's on his way. And he confirmed like, what time is rehearsal start? They said, oh, seven. And he's like, well, it's seven oh five. I'm like, oh yeah, we, we always do this. And at about seven 15, the director finally makes the appearance on the, <laughs> on the field. And, you know, that kind of ensemble, like that kind of sort of lack of care and attention and respect to the ensemble, to the guest, uh, just not a great habit to set up and not a great way to demonstrate that it's a priority uh so you're right i I think it's hard Uh, i think we've all have had times where something has come up last minute that's kind of derailed us there could be an exception here or there but to make it a priority to be to be prepared and to begin on time i think that to your point you know if you if you make it your habit to be late i don't know that you're sending the right message or the message that you really want to then yeah yeah great band directors don't do that Okay, so we also had a few other things that uh, you had a couple of other bonus points for everyone who's stuck through here that I think would be worth kind of looking through. And the first one is about just kind of preparing for rehearsal. Now, we could, of course, do a whole separate podcast on how to prepare for rehearsal and probably should, but to hit the highlights of uh, what you think some of the keys are for that. Mark your scores, practice conducting outside of rehearsal. I mean, sit in your office when no one's around and practice conducting. It's important. Make a written rehearsal plan that you can put up on the screen and students know what's going to happen. And I uh, also think it's important to put on that or at least verbalize out loud. Our goal today is such and such, and it can be something really concrete and simple, or it can be a little bit more abstract, but you know, I what, another thing I really enjoyed being able to say it at the end of a rehearsal was we're a better band than we were 50 minutes ago, you know, mm-hmm. because we did blah, blah, blah. And that was our goal. So having your goals and stating your goals, I think is, 
is really important. I love as a musician when when I come in and you know on a whiteboard or whatever we have the order of what we're working on and what we're doing. Like I love being able to be prepared. It, it demonstrates to me that the person leading the rehearsal is prepared and has given thought about what we're working on. And we're not just going to be there just, you know, playing through music. We're going to work on getting better. I love that. So, yeah, I'm going to uh, call out a person who is really good at that. And I just yesterday took a picture of the board, the screen, the whiteboard, the whole thing at the front of the room. And I sent it to all the teachers in our district. Uh, because it's so good. There's so much great information and she takes such great care to get the information up. And it's Nicole Chapel who teaches at Oregon Trail and I get to assist her uh, with her middle school bands. And um, she every day has the game plan up on the screen and every student when they walk in the room stops and looks at the screen. And so they know what to do next and they know what they're going to be working on. And there's information on there for our concert is two weeks from today, or, you know, there's all sorts of good stuff up there, but the students are, are trained that that's going to be there. And, um, they're very happy to see it every day. Yeah. If we think of our rehearsals, like a meeting, we know that every good meeting has an agenda, has a start time, has a stop time, uh, and it follows like that. that agenda and follows that. I, I love those things. This next point is another favorite and one that I've incorporated as well making a behavior plan regarding variety of things in your band. How are we going to deal with late arrivals? Are we going to allow food? What's going to, how, as a band, what do we want our cell phone policy to be? And making policies that the ensemble and that the director can live with. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Okay, so two things there. Number one, number one is whatever it is, whatever the plan is, I think it's important for the director to follow too. That if the students are not supposed to have food or drink, that the director doesn't have a cup of coffee sitting on the, the conductor stand, which says, well, I have coffee because I'm more important than you or mm -hmm. something like that. I don't, I just don't agree with that. But, uh, secondly, and more importantly is it, it's easy enough just to put on the whiteboard. Here are the rules, uh, no phones, no food, no drink, be on time, yada, yada. Um, and those are the rules deal with it. I think it's more powerful to say, okay, let's talk about rules and have students talk about what's okay or not okay and actually have conversation about these individual things because ultimately it almost always i don't in my experience it always comes around to exactly the rules you were going to put up on the whiteboard anyway and say these are the rules but it came from them mm -hmm. and then when there's a problem or a breach you know it, you can say hey we talked about this Mm -hmm. we we only want to do music in this rehearsal we don't want to have to talk about put your cell phone away right now so again i i found that it was a more positive way of establishing some norms that everybody kind of had some input into and that everybody could expect it from each other rather than just a top-down kind of you must do this well, and at that point, it's their rules, not your rules. Yeah, you know? that's the that's the idea. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and hopefully that uh, hopefully it can help. Yeah, I, my experience is that it does. I've used that so much in our business, uh, and I've found it to be very helpful. You know, especially if there's there's you know maybe I want behavior changes or something like that. 
to sit and talk through it about like, hey, what what kind of company do we want to be? What kind of store do we want to be? What kind of school service team do we want to be? What kind of repair team? And talking through that and letting them decide. And, and as you said, most of the times they come up with the things that I was looking for in the first place. And then oftentimes when they don't, it's because they came up with something better. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I find it, I found that to be super beneficial to me, uh, and had never considered it until I heard you say it. So, um, how should we end rehearsals? I'm guilty of not being very good at this and I, I'm glad to read it again, uh, <laughs> go work on it. But the best way to end a rehearsal is to talk about what happened. That was good. Yeah. You know, to, to give them a compliment and say, this was this was awesome. You know, I enjoyed being with you today, whatever it is. I mean, you could come up with a whole different, a whole bunch of different things, but, uh, something positive to send them out of the room with, uh, yeah. you know, even if it is not even musical, if it was, I just really enjoyed being with you today, or we got better at such and such, or whatever it is, find something, find that positive way to just put a little punctuation mark on the end of the rehearsal yeah i think it leaves them wanting to come back for more and it helps it goes on to their next day with a with a positive feeling uh in their spirit which i think is uh important so the next one i'm gonna say i i want to this was has to do with me getting the opportunity as a school rep for your company uh and i got to watch all sorts of different band directors work and they're all different. We are all different. And so this set of things that we've been talking about today is okay for what it is, but we, you know, what I enjoyed the most was watching all the different ways to go about having a band rehearsal and see how different everybody is and different things work for different people. So you know, you got to find your groove, you got to be you, and you got to figure out how to make that fun because the only reason anybody is in band is because it's fun, mm -hmm. right? And we got to, we got to remember that. So, um, I, I did make a short bullet point about being yourself. Yeah. That's a great point. Your last thing that you mentioned, I think is a great tip. Um, uh, but it's to, you mentioned about making a video recording yourself on the podium for a rehearsal and then reviewing it and grading it. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, probably the last time any of us did that was when we were student teaching. Mm -hmm. And for some of us, that was a long time <laughs> like really long time anyway. Uh, but it's, it's really good to sit down and critically look at yourself and go, oh, ooh, I could have said that better. Or I spent way too much time on that mm -hmm. or, you know, but until you actually make time to sit down and watch it, you know, make the plan to put a camera up. It's easy to do or a phone or whatever, and then make the time to sit down and, and watch it. You know, your students have to watch it for 50 minutes. Right. <laughs> Every <laughs> day. have to watch it. Every yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe i should have to watch that too yeah you would learn so much from observing yourself i i know that there's times i i feel like every time i walk into someone's band room and watch a rehearsal i you know i i, I learned something and i i have some kind of insight that can be helpful to them and it's not because i'm you know some kind of master educator i'm not i'm a 
music store owner. I've got a degree in music education, but these people have all the experience in the world that I don't. But when you're not on the podium and you're just observing, you're just able to see and hear things that are very hard to see and hear when you're on the podium. There's something about being on the podium and that stick in your hand that can sometimes make it hard to see the whole picture. And so going back and watching that rehearsal, I think may, may help. Um, And you mentioned, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was the whole inspiration behind uh, writing this article, as you said, in the very beginning of our visit today, that, you know, I had the opportunity to drive around and watch different band directors and I was not the one standing on the podium. So I could sit to the side and watch and observe. I observe great things happening. Occasionally I observe something less than great, but it was all from that angle of it. I'm not on the podium. Mm-hmm. So I can see it. I can watch it happen. And I can see the kids in a little bit different angle than when I'm on the podium. So that's what taking a little bit of time to watch a recording of yourself on the podium could be that. And then at every opportunity, every professional development day that you can get permission to go out and watch somebody else teach, go do it. Yeah. It is. It is fascinating. Yeah. You definitely will learn so much more doing that than you would for most of the content that's provided during, during our, our PD days. I did not say that. <laughs> I said it. Uh, that was you didn't you. say it. I was the <laughs> said that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, one other kind of encouragement along those lines of recording. So it's very easy to record. You our, our cell phones today are so great that the recording quality is excellent. Even the the microphone audio quality is is quite good. So to set that up on a on a tripod and record your rehearsals easy, you can upload that to YouTube and make it an unlisted video so that only people with the link can view it. And then if if you want to be really bold and make yourself vulnerable to share that link with some people that you respect and trust and ask for their thoughts. You can even tell them like, Hey, you don't have to watch the whole thing. You know, it's a 50 minute rehearsal, or whatever, but if you can watch bits of it, I'd love to hear your thoughts on maybe some areas that I can improve, maybe what you thought I did right, uh, areas that could be better and sending that to more experienced teachers, uh, you know, maybe your, your university conductors, if you're connected in that way, whatever I, you would learn so much more. And I think a lot of people be, are afraid to do that because we all feel like we all feel like we're, we've got the, a little bit of this imposter syndrome going on where we feel like I'm not really as together, as good as I should be, or as someone else is. And we're afraid that we're going to be exposed or found out. Everybody feels that way. So uh, just put that aside and recognize that, you know, none of us are perfect. All of us have areas we can improve and get better. And we'll improve and get better quickly if we'll invite people who care for us to offer insights and constructive criticisms. So, and you know, uh, the probably the best thing that happens in that scenario is hearing somebody say, "You know what I really liked in your rehearsal was blah 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 blah." And, I, and again, it's just like working with kids when you use the positive angle and, and you hear as a director and somebody compliments you and what you did in your rehearsal, man, that feels good. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. So be bold and be, be bold and do it. Well, John, this is great. I think, uh, certainly your, your heart and, uh, care and concern for your students and for your peers is evident, I think in this conversation and it is a testament to, you know, the success you've had as an educator success as a road rep and friend and everything else.